Second Kings chapter six, and we are going to be looking uh, beginning in verse eight. Uh, we probably have uh, one more week besides this week in the series called the Prophets, where we're looking at the life of the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. And uh, so probably one more week there. And then we'll probably spend a couple weeks looking at Christmas type stuff, uh, the incarnation, Jesus becoming man, uh, being born, uh, living a, a sinless life. And so, and then probably in January, we'll start something new, probably something in the New Testament, I anticipate. Uh, so we're in our second sermon today on the prophet Elisha, S-H-A instead of J, Elisha. And here we'll begin reading in verse 8. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going to be there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he's in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And as soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? And he answered, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike to those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Father, we pray uh, just what Elisha prayed and just what the Apostle Paul prayed. Uh, Father, we pray that you'd open our eyes. God, we ask you to uh, reveal to us the spiritual realities of salvation. God, that you'd reveal to us what you're doing in, in the world and how you're working and how you're moving and God, we pray that we would see more than just our trials, more than just the attacks upon us. But God, we pray that we would see what you're doing as well. Father, show us. Open our eyes. We pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
All right, have you ever been attacked? Have you ever felt you were attacked? Have you ever felt you were under attack? Have you ever felt like, like things were just against you, either people or circumstances or life in general, the world? Have you ever felt that, that, that just kind of you're just under attack? I think we've all probably felt that at some time or another, sometimes uh, in various ways. Uh, my wife has, there's, there's a story in our kind of history that, that uh, about attack, I think it's funny. She still doesn't think it's funny, uh, but I... Uh, I had gone out with a, a, a group of uh, folks, and she usually went, but for some reason she didn't. We would go to college campuses, and we would share Christ on the college campus, and so we had gone out. It was like a late on a Friday night, and uh, she was there by herself, and she was doing laundry. And so uh, we, we go down from our apartment to, to do laundry. I had to kind of go down the hill, and there was like a little shack kind of in the middle of all the complex. There were washers and dryers, and we did our laundry there. And she went down there, and she was washing clothes. The door was open. It was kind of warm. It was probably like September or so. Uh, door was open in that little shack. The windows were open. And this is her testimony. I didn't see it, but this is her testimony. I saw kind of the after effects. But she said a swarm of June bugs, okay, came into the shack. And she said it was, she, she describes it as supernatural. She said it was unreal. She said they were like dive bombing her. And, you know, and, and I never really thought of June bugs as actually flying directionally. Have you ever thought about that? They look to me like they're drunk or blind because they're just like banging into stuff, you know. But she said they were just like bombing her. And, and she's like, she said, I, and they were just all over me. They're all over the clothes. She said, every time I'd take a step, I would crunch them, you know. And she, she was just horrified. She just, she just ran out of there. She left. She went and got Burl, the apartment complex manager. And Burl went, and I don't know what they did, but anyway, kind of rescued her. And she, she never even got our clothes. I got home late, late that night, like midnight. She goes, you got to go get our clothes in the laundry house. You know, they're still there in the dryer. I'm not going back down there, you know. And, and, but, but she really felt under attack. I mean, that's the way she describes it. When she described it, she said, Jason was a spiritual attack. She said, I was, I was praying for you guys as you were out witnessing. And, and, she, you know, and I was like, well, huh, maybe so. You know, the only thing I can think of is in the Bible. You remember where Jesus cast the demons out of the, the, the demon-possessed guy and he sent them into the pigs and they all ran off the cliff? You know, maybe there was a, a, a demon-possessed swarm of June bugs. I don't know. But here's the point. She felt attacked, okay? And I, and I think everybody can, can understand what that is, right? You, you've either had people attack you. Sometimes people attack you verbally. You know, sometimes people just criticize your job performance, the way you do things, the way you handle yourself, and, you know, the, you know, the decisions you've made in your life. There are times where people attack our character. That really hurts, doesn't it? Because, you know, the, the book of Proverbs says that a good name is, is worth more than silver or gold. And it's really a hurtful thing when people slander who you are and they slander your motives or, or how, you, how you've behaved yourselves, how, how you've lived your life. I tell you what, you, you see a new side of moms when someone attacks their kids, you know. You didn't know that mothers had retractable claws, did you? But it, it comes out, ching, you know. And, and man, that's, that's a hard thing when, when someone attacks your family, someone attacks your, your spouse, you know. Man, those are really difficult things. There's times where, where I think we just feel under attack in general. Have you ever felt... Just like you get your family gets sickness after sickness after sickness. You ever felt that way? And you just feel like, man, you know, it's just like we're under attack. Or, or have you ever felt like, uh, 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 like, 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 like you're attacking your spirit? 
You know, like you, you ever feel like, man, I try to pray and I just, I'm not, I can't pray and, and I'm distracted and I try to read my Bible and I'm distracted and, and I have all these temptations, I have all these thoughts going through my head that I know I shouldn't have. And, and I, I think there's, there's an essence there of a spiritual attack. And so I think there's all kinds of attacks, right? There's all kinds of, of, of things that come at us that, that, that seek to harm us, uh, whether they be just life or spiritual or people or, or whatever. We, we, we at times feel attacked. In this passage, one of the things I like about this passage is that the people of God are, are being attacked by the Syrians, okay? It's happening over and over again. The Syrians are, are coming into the border towns of Israel. The, the Syrians have a stronger military force, and they're coming into the border towns of Israel, and, and they're attacking those towns, and, and they're taking all the loot, all the booty, all the, all the stuff. They're even taking slaves. If you remember in, in, in last week's sermon, 2 Kings 5, where did that slave girl come from? who was in Naaman's house, she came from, from Israel, right? They, they had gotten her in one of those, those raids. And so the Israelites are being attacked over and over again. And one of the things I like about this passage is it really tells us how God protects those who are his people, okay? In various different ways, how God protects his people from attack how, and how we ought to respond to those who attack us, okay? And so that's, that's what we're gonna look at today. That's gonna be, gonna be the theme as we work through this passage of scripture. What I, wanna, what I want you to see first of all, though, is, is one of the things that I think we take for granted. You know, sometimes when, when you're in the midst of an attack and you just feel like, man, you know, God's just letting everything harm me and God's not doing anything, I want you to remember that there are so many times, maybe that we don't even recognize, where God spares us from an attack. In other words, where it never comes because God inter- inter- intervened. You know, we, we, we don't get harmed, and we are, not, we are not in the midst of that because God intervened on our behalf before it ever happened, okay? And that's exactly what we see happening here, beginning in verse 8. This is when the king of Syria was warring against Israel. He took counsel with his servants and said, to such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God, the prophet of God, okay? The guy who, who in the Old Testament, we've talked about this in our series on the prophets, who spoke the word of God. They didn't have a Bible like we have today. And so the prophets were the ones who spoke God's word. And so it says the man of God sent word to the king of Israel and he warned them. And then, then, then before the attack ever came, they were able to get out of the way, okay? Now there are, there are times where God does just that. He, he keeps us out of harm's way before the attack ever happens. And you know how he does that most of the time? Through the prophetic word, okay? Not through the prophet, but for us, right here, through the prophetic word. I cannot tell you how many times that this book, okay, that the truths in this book have kept me from harm, okay? It never happened. It, it, I was never in the wrong spot at the wrong time. I was never in the position where I would have been harmed, where I would have been hurt, where, where things would have happened because the word of God kept me from that place. I can't tell you how many times the prophetic word of God kept me from a wrong relationship that would have harmed me or kept me from a foolish decision that would have harmed me or kept me from saying what I wanted to say in an angry moment that would have, would have harmed my life later on or kept me from a wrong response in a delicate situation. And that's exactly what the prophet is doing for Israel. But friends, that's what the Bible does for us, okay? I'll have people come in my office at times and, and they'll just, man, I just love when people tell me the truth. That, that's a refreshing thing. And they'll, they'll just tell me the truth. And, and there's times where people come in overwhelmed and they'll say, man, pastor, I tell you what, my luck is horrible, 
you know. I tell you what, God must be against me, you know. And they'll say, I tell you what, Pastor, I was in the bar the other night, and these three guys jumped me, and they beat, what are you laughing at? I, I, no, I'm really, I'm telling you the truth. These three guys jumped me, and they beat me up, you know, and I didn't do anything, and I, I believe him. I mean, I, I really believe that that's probably what happened, you know. And then they'll be like, and we were cruising around, and I thought these guys were my buddies, and, 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 and then we got pulled over, and one of them had drugs, and I had to spend 30 days in jail, and I didn't have anything to do with it. I believe them. You know, I, I, mean, I think they're telling the truth, you know, and then they'll say, you know, and, and I, I had this relationship with this lady, and while I was in jail, why, you know, she, I, I'm just making all this up, but you know, you, you see my point? And, and usually what I'll say to them is, I'll just be real honest, and I'll say, you know what? Things like that used to happen to me all the time. I, I mean, really. I mean, I used to find myself in those type of situations, and I used to find myself in that kind of trouble, but here's the honest truth. That stuff doesn't happen to me anymore. No, no, it's not that I don't have any problems. I do, but, but, but many of the harm that used to come to my life does not happen to me anymore. You know why? Because the prophetic word has come into my life, and all of a sudden, I'm not in those places anymore, and I'm not doing those things anymore, and I'm not in those relationships anymore, and I, I'm, not, I'm not with those people anymore, and God keeps me from harm. Amen? And so even though today... I got one kid that's sick, you know. We always have, have you noticed that about Pastor Jason? Some of you walk out, that family's the sickest family I've ever met in my life, you know. Even though we've still got problems and you got, you know what? I don't have the problems that I would have were it not for the word of God, amen? And so let's just, let's just first of all, just, you know, even in the midst of attack, let's, let's just give a thank you to Jesus that through the prophetic word, he saves us from many harms. Amen? All right, good. Okay, so number one, we need to give thanks to God for, for his provision, you know, of, of, of us not being in the attacks that we would be in. Now, second of all, let's look at what happens here in the attack, okay? So uh, the, the, the Syrian king, he's really mad at Elijah because Elijah keeps thwarting his plans to attack the, the people of God. And so he comes after Elijah, and he does it at night, okay? It's a surprise attack. It says in verse 14, he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded surrounded the city, okay? So picture, you got a little village, you got some houses, maybe a store, and, and Elisha and his servant are in one of the houses spending the night there, and when they wake up in the morning, the servant comes out, and they're, I mean, completely surrounding the city. You've got soldiers with spears and swords and shields and horses and chariots. I mean, the chariot was kind of the tank of the Old Testament days. So you've got a mighty military force completely surrounding you, okay? Okay? And the servant does what probably any of us would have done. He panics, okay? Uh, I mean, this is a bad thing. In, in verse uh, 15, he says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? What shall we do? That's the end of the verse. My master, what, what are we going to do? And, and here's the interesting thing, okay? Elisha comes out, sees the very same thing that the servant sees, but has a completely different response. It's interesting, isn't it? Okay, so, so the servant sees what, what, what is out there against them, and, and he panics, he falls apart, he's stressed, he's anxious, he's worried, he's fretful, he's despairing, okay? Elisha sees the very same thing and has a completely different response, okay? Elisha sees the very same thing and says, wow, they don't have very many, you know? Uh, I feel sorry for them. Boy, I'm sure glad we've got a lot more than they do. I'm sure glad that the force that's with us is a thousand times greater than that little piddly force. 
Okay? Now, at this point, the servant is beginning to think that Elijah has counting issues, okay? Because he's going, one, two, you know, you and me. And here we got all this Syrian army all around. How in the world can you say that we've got more than they do? Well, here's our second principle, okay? Whenever you're under attack, you need to pray fervently that God would give you the ability to see spiritual realities, Okay? That God would open your eyes to see spiritual realities. Now, some of you are going to say, whoa, 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 you lost me, Pastor. What, what in the world is a spiritual reality? Well, what the Bible would say is that there is physical sight and there is spiritual sight, okay? There are things that we can see physically and there are things that we can see spiritually, okay? Now, what is physical sight? Well, we understand that, right? Physical sight is the ability to see people only as they show us themselves, though. That's the, that's the key thing about, about physical sight, is you only get to see what someone lets you see physically, right? Um, there are times where people portray themselves in a completely different way than they really are, okay? But we, we can see people. We can see houses and money and power and danger and, and, and influence, and, and we can see, um, we can see uh, uh, sickness and threats and pain and death and, and beauty and, and, and all of those things we can see physically. But there are many things that we cannot see with our physical eyes, okay? Uh, now, what kind of things would that be? Well, let's just, let's just get a big category, and I'll break it apart in little categories here in a minute. But the big category, we, we're not able to see the work of God many times spiritually, okay? We're not able to see what God is doing. Um, let, me, let me give you an example. I, I think this is a current example of this because uh, probably many of you have been watching all the political stuff, who's running for president, who's not running for president, uh, who's had an affair, who hasn't had an affair, all that business has been on TV forever. Um, and I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how people get really upset when their guy doesn't win. Okay, because a lot of times we as believers, you know, we 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 kind of pick a certain guy that seems to have a Christian worldview, right? Seems to have a a biblical worldview. Seems to look at the look at life as he ought to look at life, or at least he's the best of the the pack that we have to choose from. And and that's everything right about that. You you ought to do that. Okay, you ought to do exactly that. That you you ought to look for the guy that has a biblical worldview that sees the world through the lens of the Bible, okay? But there are times where we vote, we, we give money, we, we try, we go through the process that, that God has, has given us in our country to elect that person, and he doesn't get elected, okay? Now, there's a couple different responses to that. Some people almost fall apart. You know, the world's ended. God is lost. People voted against God, you know? Let, let me just give you a secret here, okay? God never loses, all right? It doesn't matter if seven billion people on the planet vote no to God, He's still king, okay? He, that doesn't bother him in a bit, all right? He, he doesn't even watch the results on Fox News. He doesn't care because he's king no matter what, okay? That's a spiritual reality. And in fact, Daniel chapter 4, verse 25 tells us that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and he gives it to whom he will. You're saying God gives? Yeah, that's what the Bible says. In fact, if we go over into Romans chapter 13, listen to this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. And so here's what I'm telling you. What about that day when, when you've got a, a man running who's, who seems to have Christian principles and seems to be a godly person, and you've got the complete opposite on the other side, and, and the wicked man wins? Does that mean that God's not at work? It does not mean that God's not at work. Okay. What it means is that we just need open eyes to see what God's doing. God's doing something, and we, we don't, we're not sure what he's doing. Okay, God's still at work, though. 
But, but we just don't know exactly what God is doing. He may be judging our nation. He may be bringing discipline upon our nation. He may be doing something we completely don't expect. But here's the reality is that God is working, okay? And Jesus said we need to try to see what God is doing. In fact, in Matthew 13, 13, he describes his teaching this way. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Jesus said there are people who can see physically but are blind spiritually, they, they don't know what God is doing. They don't see the spiritual realities of God. Now, let, let, let me give you some examples of spiritual realities, okay? The new birth, okay? The new birth is a spiritual reality. Now, we can see a physical birth, right? We got some babies in here today, and we can, we can, see, we can see physical birth. We, when someone comes to church and here's our new baby, you know, here's the baby God has given us new life, amen. We can see that. We understand that that's new life, that God has given great, okay? But there's also a new birth. Okay, that the Bible describes as regeneration. Have you ever heard that word in the Bible? And what it means is, is that when a person is drawn by the Holy Spirit and their eyes are open to see who God is, to see who Christ is, to see his glory, to be impressed with him, and then, and then God joins that sinner to Jesus forever in a union with him, that is a spiritual reality. And it's actually a bigger reality than a physical birth because that reality will last forever and ever. The physical birth, the physical body will not. And so there are spiritual realities that we only see by God opening our eyes to see him. How about the indwelling Holy Spirit, you know? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that if you're a born-again believer, the spirit of almighty God, the third person of the Trinity, lives inside of you. Can you always see that with physical eyes? No, you can't. I mean, there's times where you look at a believer, and man, they look like they've been run over and dragged for half a mile, you know? I mean, they're just walking in like, man, you know, I've been whipped, you know? And just by looking at them, you wouldn't say, man, the Spirit of Almighty God dwells in that guy. But you know what you see with spiritual eyes? That it's true for every born-again believer. That there's, there's a spiritual reality there that the Spirit of God dwells in the believer. How about the glorious nature of Jesus Christ? Let me tell you, we don't all see that by nature. There were 18 years of my life where I came to a church almost every Sunday after my dad got saved. And I went to a Sunday school class almost every Sunday. But you know, here's the reality. I was not impressed by Jesus. I knew about Jesus. I could listen in the class, and I, I was a smart kid, and I could answer all the questions, but I wasn't impressed by Jesus. I was not moved to love him and to seek him and, and, and to want him. It wouldn't happen until I was 18 when I had the new birth happen in my life, and I was drawn to Christ, and my eyes were open, and man, all of a sudden then, then I saw the glorious nature of Jesus Christ. How about things like the transient nature of this world? The fact that this world is not gonna be here forever. That all that we see around here is really not what life's about. You only see that with spiritual eyes. How about the power of believers to do all things through Christ who strengthens them? That's only seen by spiritual eyes. How about this? The joy-stealing, relationship-damaging, life-destroying effects of sin. Not everybody sees sin that way. I guarantee it. There was a time in my life where I saw sin as no big deal. I really thought, I can do these things and there will not be consequences upon my life. I thought that. Many of you may still think that today. You may know what the word of God says about a certain thing in your life and you just don't care. You're gonna keep doing it. You know why? Because you don't see with spiritual eyes the true nature of sin. I'll tell you what, when I look at sin now, I don't want any part of it. I mean, it, it scares me. I don't wanna live in sin. It frightens me when I see myself falling into a sin because I don't want to be there because I really believe I'll be hurt by that because my eyes have been opened to see what sin is. Okay, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the work of God through providential events. 
Think about Joseph, okay? Remember the story of Joseph, how, how he sold into slavery by his brothers? You, you know what his brothers were thinking when they sold him into slavery? They were thinking, we are getting rid of a tattletale braggart punk, okay? That's all they were thinking, okay? You know what they could not see? They could not see that God was providentially moving to raise Joseph up to be the prime minister of Egypt to save the nation of Israel. They didn't see that. When Jesus was dying on the cross, there were people that walked by there all day long for six hours. And you know what they saw? They saw a thief, okay? They saw three thieves, they saw, they, they saw maybe two thieves and that religious guy, you know, that joke, that, that, that fake, that fraud, that guy that said he, he'd destroy the temple in three days, raise it up again. That's all they saw. The Bible says they mocked at him and spat upon him and jeered at him. You know what was really happening there? If you had spiritual eyes to see, they would have known that that was God in human flesh making atonement for the sins of humanity the most significant day in human history. But people couldn't see it. Why? Because there's physical sight and there's spiritual sight. And so, what happens here? Well, two guys walk out of the house. One guy is terrified. One guy is confident. And so Elisha prays in verse 17. Elisha prays and says, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Now, now I, want you to, I want you to pay very close attention to what Elijah prays there. Please open his eyes that he may see. The reason I want you to pay attention to that is I think that's a prayer you should pray. Um, I, 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 I've never done a formal study on this, but I really believe that that is a prayer that I pray more than any other prayer. Uh, I, I, I think that's true. I think I pray that prayer more than any prayer. I found myself walking before first service. It was about 8.20 this morning. And I found myself walking from my office down that hall. And as I was walking down that hall, I found myself praying, Lord, please open my eyes to your truth. God, I pray for these folks that will be coming in today. I pray that you'd open their eyes to the truth. And as I was saying, I was like, oh, that's what I'm preaching on today, you know? I mean, but, but it's, I'm, it's just such a habit ingrained in me. I pray that constantly. Every time I open up my Bible to study in the week, when I, when I, when I get up early in the morning and I open my Bible to have my, my time with the Lord, I pray, God, please open my eyes. Because here's what I know. I need, God, I need your help to see. God, I need your help to see or I won't see what I ought to see. Paul prays this in Ephesians 1.18 for believers. He says in verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That's, a, that's another way of saying God open their eyes. Okay, And listen what he prays. Open their eyes that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Verse 19, what's the immeasurable greatness of his power? You see what Paul does? Paul says, man, God, Open their eyes, enlighten their eyes, that they would see the hope that they have, that they would see the power of Jesus, that they would see the riches of his inheritance that they have. Let them see those things. Because we don't always see those things, do we? And when we don't see those things, we greatly misjudge a situation. How many times, maybe believer, have you been in this spot where you, you have thought to yourself, man, I, I've got nothing. You ever been really discouraged with your life? You're just like, man, I, I've got nothing. Man, I, my life is ruined. It's just a piece of junk. You know, I'm just everything's wrong. Is that true? It seems like it sometimes, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem like to the very core that's true? But, but is, it, is it real? See, if you don't see the spiritual realities, you could greatly misjudge your own life. 
Is that, is that really true of a born-again believer? If there's a lost person that know Christ, not joined to Jesus, yes, that could be true of them. But of a believer, is it ever true that we've got nothing but junk that, that man, I'm joined to Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, in a, in a permanent union, filled with his Holy Spirit, destined for glory. It cannot be true of me. If you're a believer, it cannot be true of you. Are there times where you don't see it? Yep. Yep. We need to see, don't we? There may be times where, where something seems impossible. You ever had that in your life? Just, God, I can't do this. But, but the spiritual reality is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There may be times where we think we've had a horrible setback. How many times in your life, you know, you're trying to do a certain thing, trying to go a certain direction, and there just, just seems like this horrible setback, you know? And then, then two or three days later, you realize, whoa, that wasn't a horrible setback. That's actually what actually needed to happen. That, ever happened, to you? that has happened to me time and time again, where, where I thought something that was a setback actually was the thing that needed to happen for us to go forward. There are times where, when, when God seems to be allowing too much pain in our lives, there are times where it seems like, like maybe, maybe God doesn't love us. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I mean, I just don't think God loves me. Man, is, is, that, the, is that real? Is that, is that true? What, what's the spiritual reality about that? So, so for Elijah and the servant, they, they saw two different things. And so Elijah prays, God opened his eyes, God opens his eyes, and now all of a sudden both Elijah and the servant See their situation correctly, okay? And you know what that does? That brings confidence. That brings a peace. That brings a joy. You're gonna find that again and again. That, that's what God does when he opens our spiritual eyes. He, he opens it to see, hey, you know what? Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I mean, that, that's what he does. Uh, I mean, God opens their eyes to see, okay, the Syrian army, yep, they, they, they completely surround the town. What does it say about God's army? It says, God's army, where is it at? Uh, verse 17, he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Okay, the Syrian army may be around the town, but you know what they see? They see the mountain of God filled with God's army, okay? Wow, okay, he's all around, okay? So the Syrian army, they've got metal swords and chariots. That's pretty spooky, unless your army's got chariots of fire, okay? I don't know exactly what a chariot of fire is, but it's got to be awesome, right? I mean, it can burn you up. I mean, that, that's a bad deal. You know, I, people ask, you know, what, do, do angels really ride in chariots? I, I have no idea. I don't, I don't really think that's the point, okay? I think what the point is, is God is giving a visual comparison. You know, in other places in the Bible, the, the, the angels aren't riding in chariots. And so I think the point here is the Syrian army has chariots. God's saying, okay, let me give you a visual comparison of how this stacks up, okay? Here's what you're against. Here's what's behind you, okay? Here's what's for you. And it's a comparison to say God is better. Jesus is better. That's what he's opened their eyes to see. Look, what we've got is better than what you're against. Folks, and, and I believe in every way, when God opens your spiritual eyes, that's what you see, okay? If, if you're depressed about your life, if you're down about your life, I believe when God opens your eyes to the spiritual reality, you're like, wow, there is more going for me than there is against me. Wow, th th there is more good in my life than there is bad in my life. Wow, there is more joy coming than there is damage being done. I mean, I, I think we always see what God has is better, what he has is bigger, what he has is, is, is more satisfying in my life. And so Elisha and his servants, they see the spiritual reality, and then they're moved to pray. Here's the thing I believe. 
I believe if you find yourself not praying, I believe the root cause of that is not that you lack time, okay? I, I, I come back to this again and again, but I keep hearing it. People say, I don't pray because I don't have time. You have time to do what you want to do, okay? That's just the reality. You do what you want to do, and, and, and so not having time is really not the issue. Here's the issue. I believe the issue of not praying is the fact that you don't see the spiritual realities of God. You don't see the bigness of God. You don't see the glory of God. You don't see the majesty of God. You don't see the satisfying nature of God. You don't see how awesome, how glorious, how good God is. And therefore, you don't come to him very often. Because because you're not baited and drawn by his greatness. Some of you are going to go to Christmas parties this December. Some Christmas parties are better than others, aren't they? Right? I mean, that's just true. And there are times where somebody underestimates the number of guests that are going to come. Okay? Hey, we've done that before as a church. It happens, all right? And so you get there late, you know, and you go up to the buffet table, the spread, and there's no big chips left. All there is is the, like, crunched up little stuff out of the bottom of the bag, you know? And there's always several, like, dishes. They've been scraped clean, you know? I mean, somebody had to just pick it up when nobody was looking, you know, like that. I mean, there's just nothing in the deal. You know it had to be good, you know? And there's, like, a pan with a half a brownie, and you're thinking, all right, someone broke that with their hands, you know? And then there's always one thing that still has a bunch of stuff left, but you're wondering, why is everything else gone and there's a bunch of that, you know? And so anyway, but you're, you're uninspired, okay? You're... You're thinking, I'll just go buy McDonald's on the way home, you know? And, and, and so you don't go very often. True? Yeah, right. Okay. Other, others you go to, man, there, there's a spread. I mean, table upon table of just incredible stuff. You know what you do there? You, I've seen some of you. I don't know how you get so much food on a plate or how you'd ever eat that. And why? I mean, really? Are you putting it in your purse or what? You know? And then I see you go back. Okay, they're already planning. Do you hear that? <laughs> These kitchen people, they come early. You know why they come early, huh? They do. It's sinful, but they, they keep doing it. Listen, if you're impressed with God, you, you'll come. I mean, you will. If you see him as glorious and as good and as big and as mighty, You know what you're going to do? You're going to come again and again and again and again. Okay? And and Elisha does that. Elisha's calm. He's cool as a cucumber. And and, and he just prays. Verse 18, he's got this army surrounding him. He just prays. He he knows the army that's for him. Verse 18, he says, God, please strike this people with blindness. Okay? God God strikes them with blindness. And and they can't see. The army can't see. You know, there's, there's there's a cool irony in this whole passage about seeing and not seeing. Isn't it? I mean... Yeah, have you followed that? Elisha can see, the servant can't. He prays for the servant to see, the servant can see. Elisha prays for the army not to see, you know, not to recognize who he is, not, not to recognize where they're going. God strikes him with some form of blindness. It's not like I can't see, but they're, they just don't realize the trap they're going into. And then when they get there, he, he prays that they can't see. I mean, there's this whole theme throughout the deal of, of seeing and not seeing. Let me show you something. I've showed you before, and I wasn't going to show you today. In fact, I don't think I showed. I didn't do this in the first service, but then I thought, I can't leave this out, okay? 2 Corinthians 3.18, it's a verse we've come to again and again and again and again and again and again and again. But, but it's so good. Listen, we believers, Michelle and I, we 
We all with un, not just us, but I'm just saying <laughs> believers, okay? We all with unveiled face, we're beholding the glory of the Lord. Beholding is seeing. It says we're seeing the glory of the Lord and we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord is the Spirit. I, I've talked to you about this again and again. Friends, people grow in the Christian faith when they see God's glory. When, when you see who he is, what he's done, and by see, you, you're impressed. You're awed. You're wowed. You see it for what it really is. You're transformed. When you don't, go down a couple of verses. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. You know what's happening in many people? They're, they're blind to it. They don't see. They don't see the glory of Jesus. So, the entire Syrian army is right, right in a trap. The Israelite army surrounds them. And then listen to the king of Israel. He sounds like a kid at Christmas. He says, my father, he calls Elisha his father. He's not his physical father, but it's a term of respect. Shall I strike him down? Shall I strike him down? He wants to kill him. That makes sense, right? If, you, if your enemy, if you, if you got him in your clutches, you, you take advantage of it. You wipe him out. You destroy him. You kill him. Elisha tells him to do something very unusual that I think has big implications upon our life when we're being attacked. He says, no, instead of killing him, what I want you to do is I want you to make him a big spread. Go ahead and fix him food. Get him something to drink. Set him down for a meal. And after that, let him go home. Now, there are times in the Bible when, especially in the Old Testament, where God does things a certain way, and it's not necessarily a model for us. For instance, Joshua. Remember the story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho? That's a pretty famous story in the Bible. You know, um, God, God tells the children of Israel he's going to give them the promised land, and Jericho's in the promised land. So he tells them to, to march around the city for seven days. And on the seventh day, march around seven times, and then blow the horns. You know, and, and the walls come down, they take the city. That's not necessarily a model. Now, there, there's truths in that for us, like trusting God, following God, obeying God, no matter you know, how silly it might seem. But, but it's not a model for you, okay? In other words, if your boss is picking on you and attacking you, you should not gather your family for seven days, go march around his house, you know, in his grass, and on the seventh day, go seven times, you know, and blow the... I mean, he's going to call the cops on you, and you're going to be arrested, okay? Uh, that's not a model for you, okay? But this particular instance where, where Elisha tells the people of God, I want you to feed your enemy, okay? The, the one that you could strike down, the one you could take vengeance on, instead of doing that, I, I, want, you to make, I want you to make him a meal. I want you to minister to him, okay? That, that's, that's a principle of the scriptures. In the New Testament, in Romans chapter 12, listen. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Listen to verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Listen to verse 19. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Then he'll be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says something similar. He said, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, now here's what I want to tell you about that, okay? 
It's very clear that God tells us how to handle our attackers when they're people. He tells us to minister to them. But here's what I want to tell you. You will never pull that off unless you see the spiritual realities of God. You just won't. You can hear what I say here in church, and you can say, okay, but when it happens in your real life, and someone attacks your family, someone attacks you, someone attacks your reputation, you know what you're going to do? Cause I, and it's what I'll do, too, if I don't see the realities of God. You, you're going to say, absolutely no way. I'm going to defend myself. I'm going to make sure you get what you deserve. Man, you picked at me, and I'm going to take an opportunity, and I'm going to pick back, and I'm going to hold it against you, and I'm going to pray for justice, and, I, and I'm going to gain some sort of satisfaction about you hurting just like you hurt me. That's exactly what you'll do. You won't let them go. The people of God here, they let, this, they let their enemy go. But you know what? You won't let them go unless you see the spiritual realities of God. But if your eyes are open this morning and you see there's an almighty God defending you, fighting your battles, ultimately, I stress the word ultimately, making things right in the world and with you. You can let them go. You can. You, you can forgive. You can just let them go. You can not punish them. You can not keep them there in your heart, pounding away at them. You can actually say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to give you over to Jesus. He'll take care of you. He'll take care of me. But only, only by believing the spiritual realities. All five of my kids, when they were little, like I'm talking six months to about a year, there's this phase that they go through where they're beginning to assert themselves, their little sinful nature, you know. Um, but they're little enough not to quite understand everything. And, and maybe none of you had this experience, but I had this experience with almost each one of them where somewhere in there, six months, seven months, eight months, you know, they'd, they'd have a bug, you know, out in the yard. And they'd get, ah, you know, and I'd grab their hand and I'd peel that little slobbery thing open and take the bug away and not let them eat it. And they'd, they'd be mad. You ever, you ever have them, they get mad. And, and I've had them turn around, you know, I'm telling them, no, we're not going to eat that bug. And I've had them go, ah, you know, right? I mean, just smack me. You know, I've had them pull my beard, pinch me. You know, you ever have a little kid like that? They're like, I'm going to hurt you, you know. And, and here's the deal. Never once, after they smacked me or pulled my beard or pinched me, never once did I draw back and say, all right, you're... we don't do that. You know why we don't do that? We don't do that for lots of reasons. Number one, it's wrong. Number two, you go to jail. Number three, it's wrong, okay? But, but here, here's, here's a big one. You know why? Ultimately, that little seven-month-old cannot really hurt me, Right? I'm not, in, I'm not in jeopardy, really. Can, can they make a sting? Yeah, I've, I've had a welt before, you know. But, but ultimately, can, am I really in trouble? No, I'm not. Now, what I'm about to say, some of you are going to struggle with a little bit, okay? Please hear me in context, okay? Don't take what I say out of context. I, I'm not saying that people can't hurt you. I know they can. I know they can. I know people do terrible Horrible things, okay? But what does the verse, Romans 8, 31, mean when it says, if God be for me, who can be against me? What does that mean? 
Some of you may not mean anything. Okay, but I believe if God will open our spiritual eyes to see if God be for you, who can be against you? The rest of that verse goes on to say, or the, that passage goes on to say, we're more than conquerors for him who loved us. What, what that verse is telling us is that God is moving. He is moving in this world. He is moving in the lives of the saints. He is bringing this whole thing to an ultimate victorious conclusion in which I will reign with him forever and ever, joined to my king. Nobody can take that away. Nobody can take that away. Nobody can keep that from me. Man, when when you see that, I think you're able to turn the other cheek. I think you're able to say, it was wrong. You shouldn't have done it. But you know what? I'm putting you in Jesus' hands. I can trust him. He'll take care of you. He'll take care of me. Oh, that's freeing. To be able to feed your enemy, let him go. You can't do it without spiritual eyes, though. I'm telling you. You won't be able to do it. So let's pray. Father, I ask you to open our eyes to see how good and glorious and awesome and beautiful and strong and majestic and victorious that you are. God, help us to see you. And God, I believe that when we see you, God, we'll see everything else in in our life differently. Lord, help us to, to believe the spiritual realities and to live by them. Father, we ask for, for sight. God, we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.